Krista Castaneda, oil and gas attorney and candidate for the Texas Railroad Commission. Thank you very much for joining the program here. And I love the fact when we get guests on that give us like white hot, red hot information, if you will. You know, like so hot, it's hot off the press. It's white hot, as they say. Kind of fresh off of the Railroad Commission meeting. My understanding is the Texas Railroad Commission decided not to control oil production, something along those lines. Krista Castaneda is going to join us and talk a little bit about that. Then we're going to talk about her book involving T. Boone Pickens and a few other topics as well. Krista, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. It's a beautiful day here in Dallas, Texas. Excellent. Thank you for joining the program here today or program, depending on what part of the country you're listening. Talk to me about the Texas Railroad Commission. Let's get to the news item first that... It sounds like they're going to just kind of keep things flowing down in Texas. There's going to be no government bailout or government controlling uh, production, if you will. Yeah, so your listeners probably know the Texas Railroad Commission has not one thing to do with railroads. It has everything to do with oil and gas, and it's our oil and gas regulator. And it was asked by um, some of the large operators here because of the market crash to curtail production, which it's had the ability to do for over a hundred years, last year in the 1970s and 1980s. And so the operators asked it to curtail production because as you know, we are just weeks away from having every storage facility in the nation filled up with excess oil and the demand has dropped so precipitously. So today the Railroad Commission denied that request but spontaneously announced that it was waiving a whole bunch of regulatory requirements, um, some of which have some pretty significant environmental impacts, um, and uh, suspending things like um, notice on where you store oil and who you have to give notice to and whether there's a hearing, a um, few other things like that. It's quite an eventful day here at the Railroad Commission. So they voted two to one to reject a proposal that would enact a statewide oil production cuts. And you mentioned about the storage products, uh, storage projects, if you will. Is this is this is just for what's already out there? This isn't the whatever they're talking about at a federal level where they're they're going to spend three billion dollars to buy oil. This is separate, correct? That is correct. Yeah. This, and my understanding is that the federal level, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is going to buy additional oil because there's some storage capacity there. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that I was following that one correctly. So, you know, you mentioned some environmental concerns. You want to elaborate that on that a little bit? Well, sure. Um, so we've got quite a few environmental issues going on here in Texas. Um, one is the flaring, which is the lighting on fire of the natural gas that's produced along with the oil. Another is the venting. But now with the oversupply of oil and no place to store it, um, they're proposing to allow additional um, – the storage of oil and additional um, – uh, underground facilities uh, that will be apparently easier to get permitted than our normal process um, and also to uh, not require them to drain surface pits 
um, and some other things like that that are, I think are intended to alleviate the responsibility of the smaller operators. Uh, I think the larger operators are not so concerned about some of the, the relief that the Railroad Commission gave today, but they were trying to save the necks of some of the smaller operators. You mentioned flaring, emissions management, if you will. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what's going on down there that was brought up during the meeting. Uh, how in-depth was that brought up in the Bakken in my neck of the woods? We just did like 19%, so there's there's issues there trying to even hit the state numbers and that sort of thing. Anytime flaring gets brought up, I like to get an update on how things are going. Well, so right now... I think it's still true that the Railroad Commission will give an exception permit to allow flaring without really any contest whatsoever. All of those flaring permits have gone through on a consent docket and continue to do so. I mean, as production is curtailed, I think the flared numbers drop. However, um, it's still a huge problem here and uh, so much so that it was mentioned today that they're going to enact a study group to further study the flaring problem. So it, it, it remains to be seen what the Railroad Commission will do, but I think people still want something done, including many in the industry itself. So you're running for the Railroad Commission, so you were watching today. Talk to me about your, your thoughts. I mean, were you uh, in agreement with some of the, the, the final decision, I guess they voted two to one, but so there was somebody who, who opposed it. Uh, what what would you have contributed to there? What would you have thought about doing things the same or differently, I guess? Talk to me about how you would have approached today's, because historic times, you know, since the 1970s, I think was the last time that they controlled production, right? Yeah, here's the thing. You probably have tornado sirens up there, right? Yeah, we do. And and you go test those once a month to make sure they're still working. Every uh, what is it? Every Wednesday at one o'clock, they do. Right, and and the reason you test them is so that you could make sure that when the tornado comes, you can blow the siren and warn people. Same thing's true of production controls here in the state of Texas. It has been long the Railroad Commission's requirement that, um, and it's been a constitutional requirement, that it control uh, production to prevent the waste of our natural resources. And so up until the early 2000s, the Railroad Commission would go through the exercise of figuring out what the production control scenario should be you know, to see what wells might be overproducing the reservoirs, where the supply bottlenecks were, et cetera. And, you know, did so until, again, about 20, 15, 20 years ago when they shut the lights and, and shut off the lights and mothballed the machinery. Um, and, and just like those tornado sirens, those, those things were there for a reason. Now they don't even know how to make it work anymore. And it was something that very much needed to be considered. Had I been in the seat, I would have made sure that we were continuing to do what was required at the regulatory level to protect natural resources, protect the industry, protect the environment, and look around these corners. Um, so they didn't gather anywhere near the amount of information they needed to actually make a determination. And they weren't equipped to do so because they no longer knew how to do it. So that's my criticism. That's what I would have done differently. And I think in the next coming months, people are going to wish that it had been done. 
I think this is really interesting. I, I think we're at such a crossroads, or as I like to call it, juxtaposition junction. I like to, you know, act like Schoolhouse Rock. And, <laughs> well, because I really, I really think we're at a I, ideological crossroads. I do. And I'll, I'll say this with this evidence that when they first talked about the bailouts, Mike Summers from the API uh, CEO president, he came out immediately, like before the reporter even got done asking the question and said, absolutely no bail bailouts, not at all. And that was a knee jerk reaction of kind of that old school way of thought. Well, we've got Matt Gallagher from Parsley Energy going on CNBC talking about we should be ushering in a new way of thinking when it comes to, you know, the Texas Railroad Commission or the government controlling production. I think it's really interesting because you just brought something up that I don't think a lot of people understand that before the, you know, 1970s, the Railroad Commission did most of the controlling, correct? Correct. And we this, were the first it, yeah, and it wasn't until probably the fracking uh, shale boom that it really got out of control compared to everything before. Because if my memory serves me correctly, the um, global oil market was probably only about 10% private companies before the, the recent shale boom. So I, I, I think it's very interesting. We're at a very unique time right now because there are a lot more private companies than were there historically before. And there is evidence of, you know, government intervention in the oil industry. There is evidence of that in, in you know, somewhat of recent history, I guess. But so we got these two dynamics going where you kind of got the old school thought. And then you got, you know, like I said, Matt Gallagher, and he's a younger guy. So you've got it's just it's interesting. Uh, you know, you're you're go hey, you're running for politics. you got to comment on that. That one, I guess, because that's, you know, it's, well, that's, that's part yeah. of the game. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, here, here's the thing about this industry. I know your your listeners know this, right? There's all kinds of companies in this industry. Some are barely running ahead of their lending covenants, and others are well capitalized and can be in it for the long haul. And there are people who are operating, you know, stripper wells and you know just barely making it, and others that own vast portfolios and reserves. And so. No, there's no one size fits all, um, but we're all in this pickle together. There's too much oil right now, and it's going to damage the Texas economy. It's going to damage many of these oil companies. There are better things that we could do, and we're in an interconnected society that you know requires um, cooperation and working together, and and a lot more than it did historically. So I do think we're in a novel time here and that something else, you know, needs to be done to transition us to, you know, I mean, really transition us to, to avoiding the worst of what this economic failure is going to end up being. Well, what what I think is interesting about it and, and the reason I, you know, bring up the juxtaposition junction and some of these other things, because to me, it just really shows that we are in such a unique time in our history that we're really putting a lot of things on the table. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to keep them on the table, but there's some conversations that are being had right now that I don't remember ever having in my lifetime. You know, I mean, yep. you know, I remember the Saudi Arabia thing happening with uh, Iran back in my childhood. And that's so I'm kind of revisiting this a little bit in my head, you know, in terms of 
maybe there wasn't get you know lines at the gas station we've got you know lines at the uh toilet paper and hand sanitizer and, and getting into walmart so there's you know lines and saudi arabia and iran did some things back in the 70s that caused some uh, some of this oil production and that sort of thing so th- there is some similarities i guess but i think it's just interesting that we're having some pretty progressive conversations um just as we try to i guess reset or bring things back a little bit. Uh, I'll get your comments on that, and then we'll just transition to your T. Boone's Pickens book, because I, I'd love to he- hear what he'd probably think about what's going on right now. Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I do think we're in a transition time. I mean, I think this 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 COVID-19 pandemic, I mean, we I guess we had something somewhat similar 100 years ago, but we're so much more interconnected and we're all flying around the globe and uh or were until you know this pandemic shut us down i I mean i just i think it's unprecedented and i think that we need leaders who can look around corners um and make sure that those tornado sirens are ready to go when we need them it's just it's just there's a there's a there's a place for smart efficient regulation to protect us all and i think the current environment is proving that out and frankly i think that from a political perspective that's where the country's going to land i would finally just note that today on this subject that uh, a vast majority of the enp professionals who were asked about whether the production controls should be enacted said yes so i think the industry wants it there are a few players who don't but um you know, if I think everybody's going to be sorry six months from now if we do not do something. Boy, I tell you, it's going to be an interesting revisit, that's for sure, because I, I think that there's going to be more to this story, and um, we're going to definitely have to come back. I was going to ask you, is the Railroad Commission, is that a um, Democrat, uh, independent, Republican-type position? Is that a political party, or is that a nonpartisan? Oh, it's definitely political, and it has been in the hands of the Republicans, as have all statewide offices, for the last 25 years here in Texas. Okay, okay. And are you, you're running under which ticket? I am a Democrat. Oh, my goodness. So that's got to be um, some interesting campaigning in the state of Texas. You know, I find I get a very... Um, I'm well received because I've worked in the industry for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. I know from all sides. I have represented operators. I have represented landowners. I have been an engineer programming production and revenue accounting systems. Um, you know, I've spent time in the oil towns and, uh, um, I certainly have an informed perspective on the subject. And I really think people, tend to appreciate that, that I'm not just somebody coming in trying to um, hold a position and legislate on things that I don't have any understanding of, because I do. Sure. Um, Texas is big agriculture, so that's that, that's got that Democratic base to it. And so, I mean, they're definitely at the roots. We're up in North Dakota, we have the same thing up, up here, very... Very much a red state, but you know what? There are some blues occasionally. That's not like Wyoming. Yeah. I had a very interesting discussion in Wyoming. What did they say? They had one Democratic senator or one Democratic House member. Anyway, between the two, they had one Democrat in the entire legislative body in Wyoming. <laughs> and and he go and I said, "Wow, boy, you guys must love that." And he goes, "No, actually, 
all of our dumb ideas get passed too fast. <laughs> he goes, he goes, you know, he goes, we do have dumb ideas occasionally and no one, no one's there to break it up. And so I thought that was a great way to look at it. So anyway, it's good to get a little discourse back and forth, I guess. But talk to me about T. Boone Pickens a little bit. I met him once. He was one of the most charismatic gentlemen I've ever met in my life. He's one that when you meet him, he stands out. And um, he uh, he had some projects up in North Dakota, so he was he was kind of going around the state, stumping a little bit. I think I want to say wind energy back in the day might have been boy. Yeah. Uh, okay, it was wind energy. All right. Uh, yeah, the the Pickens plan, I think, is what what the alliteration was. But uh, talked about your relationship with him first to kind of set the table a little bit, and then about the the book and what it's about. Sure. So, um, well, I am a commercial trial lawyer. I represent uh, companies and individuals in the upstream sector um, and have done it for 25 years. So I take big commercial disputes to trial. And um, when I was a partner in one of the largest law firms in the world in the mid-2000s, I first had Pickens as a client. And then uh, formed my own small boutique law firm in 2014, and his general counsel, who I'd stayed in touch with, said, Krista, we might have this small uh, contract matter. I don't know if it's worth anything, but we want you to take a look at it. And so I got together with Pickens and the general counsel, and we took a look at it. Well, it turned out to be a billion-dollar AMI, or Area of Mutual Interest, dispute um, that Pickens had been cut out of the deal and not known about it, and it turned out to be the sweet spot of the sweet spot of the Delaware Basin. So we tried that case for five weeks in 2016 um, and won a $146 million verdict. Him at 88, um, fighting, he was there every day with me during trial, um, fighting for what he believed was, you know, his fair share of uh, the most important deal of his life, and me as his lead trial lawyer, him a diehard Republican, me a diehard Democrat, during the Hillary lost election. Um, and it, it just it really, I thought, very interesting story. So I put it down in a book, and I hope people enjoy it. Reading your Amazon description here, and we'll put the links at the website for the last trial of T. Boone Pickens. The uh, Kindle 995 hardcover, 29.15. Well, that's an interesting price, but it's on sale. That's why. Uh, the <laughs> second paragraph: Pickens, who was 88 by then, had made and lost billions over his long career. I think that is so important right now for people to understand. He made and lost billions. So it's not like the guy, you know, made a bunch of money and then kept it. No, he was. He was up and down and up and down, and that was the thing that I, I when I met him, I, that's, what, that's what I kind of the energy I got off him is that, boy, this guy has really had his personal limits pushed many times, it seemed like. And so as I'm reading your description here of, you know, made and lost billions, that's, I mean, wow, that's, that's incredible when you think about that. Well, and, and his first billion didn't come until after retirement age. He, he testified during the trial um, that he had made $4 billion, 
lost a couple of billion, gave away another billion, and still had a billion left at the time that these guys cut him out of the deal. Um, and he could have financed the whole project. Um, there was a lot of testimony about, you know, why they needed the interest to bring in other investors when they had Pickens there, and um, he 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 could have financed the whole the whole project. So it was, yeah, he was an interesting guy. He was very resilient. Um, I think that's a good thing for people to keep in mind right now is that, you know, this business requires resiliency. And if you don't have it, it's probably not the right business for you. You said he was a hardline Republican. Um, you know, he had a very interesting relationship with the media. And I, I knew that because I was a part of the media. And he was... Um, Oh, you were excited if he came on, man. He was like, you know, that was like a exotic fruit coming on your program, something different. Yeah. And, well, he was so charismatic, and he and he would he would say things that most people wouldn't say. And you mentioned you were a hard nosed Democrat. He was a hard nosed Republican. Did he get along with other people in the in politics? I know the media had kind of had a love hate relationship with him, but how about the other politicians? Yeah, I mean, well, he had some very close Republican friends, like, for example, the governor of the state of Texas. Um, he and I were good friends, even though we didn't see eye to eye on politics. So I think it I think, you know, I think he had an interest in uh, what am I going to say? Practical, but, you know, practical people who knew how to solve problems. You know, he and I had a respect for each other because. You know, we we both dug in deep to know what we were talking about, and and I think I think that at, at his was at his base of, uh, you know, what he valued in people. But uh, to your point about his interesting way of talking about things, you know, there are these these things called boonisms, mm -hmm. um, folksy way of 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 talking about you know common concepts, and and one of the ones I use in the book is. Don't rush the monkey. He would love to talk about Krista. Don't rush the monkey. You'll see a better show. You know, he was willing to hold out and you see the whole thing through trial. And you'll have to read the book to know exactly how he used that phrase. But uh, the point being, you know, don't 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 decide to give up on the show before it's actually at its at its peak. Um, and that's what he did with this this particular case. So what do you think he would have said at that railroad commission today? Well, as a Republican, he probably would have been against regulation. However, um, he probably would have said that they should do their jobs. I think he was uh, in favor of people who were actually elected to do something, fulfilling the mission they were elected to do. So it would have been interesting. I would have liked to have talked to him about it. How about you? What would you have said today? Uh, oh, I would have, uh, first of all, I would have tabled the motion, got some more information, got the information necessary to make the determination that was required as a matter of law. But then again, I'm a lawyer. So um, that's what I would have done. I would have said, guys, we need to go gather more information. We need to know, you know, if we're, if we're going to decide whether or not we need to enact production controls to prevent waste of the natural resources that are oil and gas, we need to know 
where's the overproduction occurring? Where's the dislocation occurring? We know it's occurring in some places more than others. We know that some operators and some reservoirs are going to be impacted more than others. Where are those places? What are the operating conditions? If we shut in here versus we shut in there, how's that going to impact the reservoirs? Um, you know, what's the economic ability on some of these people to withstand uh, a shut-in, and and then what happens if we need to, you know, start up again? I mean, I, it was just a much more complicated question than they than they they recognized or were willing to give attention to. So, what's next for you? You're you're campaigning. Um, how can people check out your campaign, or probably even donate? I imagine you're looking for donations at this point too. Sure. Sure, and anybody, any, anybody who's a United States citizen can donate. Um, so my website is Christopher Texas. It is spelled C H R Y S T A four F O R Texas, all spelled out. dot com. So and it's so again, it's Krista with a Y instead of an I. Um, and uh, I'm on social media, Christopher Texas. Um, so I'm I, and I'm posting all the time about a variety of subjects. So please follow me, and if you're interested in what I'm talking about, I think you can find more there, including my um, public statement on today's Texas Railroad Commission proceedings.